Would you pray with me as we start the teaching today? Father, I just pray that you speak to us, whether through a whirlwind or a whisper. In Jesus' name, amen. They say that offense wins games, but defense, what? Wins championships. Indeed. Why is that? Because you can score all you want, but if you don't have a good defense, you're not going to win the championship in the end. If you want to think about it long term, the championship, then you got to have a good defense. And as we start the sporting season, don't pretend that you don't care. Some of you really care. Uh huh. Uh, of different sports, that, are, that, that principle applies to many different sports, not just what we call American football, which is a misnomer because you don't really kick the ball that often, and American is the whole continent. So we can say the United States of America throw ball or something. I know there's a sport already called throw ball. Hey, that's my pet. Let me, call, let me get off my soapbox there. But as the things get started and everybody gets a little bit, let me remind you, the importance of defense today. When you think about the book of Job, you wonder whether God is actually defending Job, whether he is really on his side, whether he is doing what he's supposed to be doing or not. But I'm here to tell you today that God was defending Job and he is defending you. Some of you might say, but didn't the whole book start because God provoked Satan? The answer is no. Let's take a, let's take a read at the first chapter. Let's go open your Bibles. And I, I have some of the verses on the screen, but I do encourage you always to please open your Bible and read and mark and just interact with whatever text you have. Okay? Um, so we are in chapter 1. Chapter 1. Verse 5. This is the interaction that we talked about last week. So it was uh, ch ch chapter, chapter 1, verse, verses, verses 5. I don't think it's a, I think I'm, I'm wrong about that. I think it is verse 6, the one I want. Where the, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. So the angels came representing the different, different parts of the universe. And then we think that God is provoking Satan. And so the Lord said to Satan, where do you come from? And Satan says, from going to and fro the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered, we talked about this last time, have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth, blameless, upright man, who, one who fears God and shuns evil. But what if we were to read this in a different way? What, what if you understood what was happening in the context of the great controversy. You see, our painful experiences cannot be understood simply from what you know in the human experience. You have to open your eyes to the truth around you. 
Because there were people that were there, all the angels that were there, they were represented. What if, what if you put yourself in that meeting and you said to yourself, I mean, and you were there and you, and you saw Lucifer, fallen Lucifer, a.k.a. Satan coming in, what would you think? What right does he have to be here now? And so God asked the question, wait a minute, where do you come from? Where do you represent? Where are you representing? Who are you advocating for? Allowing Satan to make his claim. And Satan says, what do you mean where I come from? You know where I come from. I come from the place where you kicked us out to. I come from the place that is my home now, my kingdom, the territory of planet earth. Let me remind you, I am the king of the earth now. I come to represent humanity. Somebody has to defend them. So who's provoking who? See, everything makes, makes sense and is different. Even your pain when you look back at how the great controversy is playing out. So then God says, oh really? The earth, huh? Your kingdom, you say? Your territory, you say? So you have full sway of the kingdom of earth? Yes, I do. Really? Then why is there a man like Job worshiping me in your kingdom? Huh? Have you considered... Have you thought about the fact that he is very faithful to me, that we are so tight and we're so close and we have an intimate relationship together? Remember last week, if you haven't heard it, get on YouTube, get on Facebook, listen to the God of intimacy of Job. That's where it starts. If indeed the earth is your territory as you say, then why is Job so tight with me? Huh? You see, Job's experience on earth was a direct rebellion against Satan's claim to own the earth. I want you to think that for a second. Think about that for a second. And you think God is not doing anything, but in reality, God is about to let Lucifer prove himself wrong. So Lucifer says, well, of course he worships you. You give him everything he could ever want. You give him all this stuff, all the children, all the stuff in the world. He's living the happy life. Of course he worships you. But let me touch him. Let me destroy his life. Let me take away everything he ever wanted. Let me, let me do with him as I wish. And you will see how he's no longer tight with you. You can see the exchange, the accusations. Because remember, Satan means the accuser. He comes to accuse, accusing God of tyranny, accusing him of being a, a king who all he wants is things to self-center, or you worship me. That's what Satan says about God. So a lot of accusations thrown around in the book of Job. If you pay attention... Satan is accusing God. Job's friends accuse Job. They say, it was your fault. By the way, if somebody is hurting and somebody is going through a very difficult experience, 
probably learning from Job's friends what not to do is a good thing. Don't sit down and say, oh, this is all your fault. That is not being supportive. Usually the person that commits a, a fault, they already know it was their mistake. Sometimes we go and we like to rub it in. Not the best. Job even tells his friends, you guys are a sorry bunch of comforters. You came here to help me and all you're doing is accusing me. Read it, it's in the Bible. So Satan accuses God, Job's friends accuse Job, and there seems to be nobody defending anybody. But again, if you step back, you will see that God is playing defense for Job and for all of humanity. God is breaking and destroying the claim that, that Satan says that this is his territory. He says, oh yes, you claim that as your territory? I will show you, and I will show the whole universe that you're wrong. Somebody ought to say amen to that. And so, God, notice, notice, Satan cannot do anything without God's permission. God says to him, okay, but you cannot touch him. So, he puts a limit even on, on the territory that is supposed to be Satan, Satan cannot do anything without the permission of God. Is that really his territory? Does he have really full sway? So God says, you're going to prove yourself wrong. Go ahead. But you cannot touch him. And you know how the story goes. Then he comes back and he still claims, oh, I, I, I still, I'm still the advocate of the, of the earth, of the territory of the planet, uh, planet earth. And God does the same thing. You still with that? How is it then that Job still worship me? And, and Satan says, well, but if you, if you just let me get him sick, let me kill him, let me have his life. Of course, if you're protecting his life, he's going to worship you. God says, you can touch him, but you cannot take his life away. You see, the whole thing is the fact that God is allowing evil to show how evil it is so that they can, then he can destroy. Let's put our first, first statement today that I want to share with you. God's defense, sometimes, you could say in the great controversy, is to let evil prove itself so that then he can destroy it forever. You say, well, what kind of defense is that? Because the end result is a universe of love and freedom of choice. What, are, what is the other option to be for him to be a tyrant? He could have killed Lucifer right away. He could have said, oh, you're going you're gonna to do your own thing. Then pff, that's it. No more. But then he would, have, he would have had seeds of bitterness and doubt all over the universe. No. God is a God of methodology. God is a God of, of intentionality. Everything he does is planned out. It's not a coincidence. So in the, in the providence of love, the only choice that love has is to give you true freedom of choice. Because if you didn't have that, then love would not exist. And life without love is not life at all. What makes life worth it is love. True love, healthy love. That's the design of heaven. That's the law that made heaven and the universe run from the very, very beginning, even if before humans were created, even when Lucifer was created. Love, true love, healthy love, selfless love, sacrificial love. That's the law of heaven. 
Satan says, no, I'm going to do my own thing. It's a better way. God allowed evil instead of destroying it right away. Why? So that the end result can be a universe of love forever. The Bible says, sin and evil shall not rise a second time. If God had done anything different, he could have never gotten the universe of love that he wanted. And you and I would be living in a miserable, eternal, for lack of a better term, hell. But you say, well, but that, that, that doesn't do anything to me. I'm still in pain. Well, listen, from the very beginning when sin came in, Genesis 1, the first prophecy rang out. He said, you touch my children, I will destroy you. In fact, he said, the seed of the woman is going to crush you. Those are fighting words. You brought war to this planet, I'm going to defeat you on this planet. I'm going to take my children back. I'm going to defend them. And I'm going to allow you to prove yourself wrong. You think God didn't know that evil was evil? He did, but the universe didn't. You and I are still trying to figure out. So there are some people here who are still trying to figure out who's right. Satan or God? God or Satan? Look, 6,000 years of Satan, this is what we have. With a lot of limitations from God. You still think that Satan is not a liar? Or that God somehow is not protecting or defending. The problem is a timing. It's a problem of timing. Okay, God, you're going to allow, you're going to, I get it. You're going to allow evil, then you're going to destroy it. But I want you to fix my pain right now. That's the problem. Sometimes we want things in our own timing. It's self, self-gratification right away. Instant. I want an instant solution to my problem right now. I want you to kill Satan right now. I want you to take away my pain right now. Well, if he did that, there would be how many people who would not be saved? He has a long-term, a championship in mind, not just one game. You are thinking of your life. That could be like one game in our parable of American football. But he has the whole championship in mind. So the timing and the intentionality and the mythology, what God allowed Job to do is to prove that Satan has no right to this planet. Because God and Job were so close and so intimate. In fact, God, Job understood, Job understood that God was defending him. Even in his moment of pain and darkness, he never doubted that God was defending him. Again, listen to last week's sermon. He was in pain. He was crying out, which by the way, allow yourself to be real with God. If you're in pain, tell him you're in pain. Don't tell him you're okay. He already reads your heart. Tell him, this is how I'm feeling. Throw it all out of him. He's not afraid of your emotions, not afraid of your pain. In fact, he took your pain. He already knows what it feels like. Give it to him. That's what Job does. But he does not accuse God. He's trying to understand the game that he's playing there. But he knows the championship is in God's hands. Take a, take, let's take a look at the, a closer look at, the, at our next verse. Chapter 19. We talked about this last. We're going to spend a few moments here today. Let's go to chapter 19. 
First, I'm going to read it in the, in the New King James. And then I'm going to show you another translation that I really, really like. Let's look, go to chapter 19, verse 23. Go with your Bible, chapter 19, verse 23. Listen, look what Job is saying. By the way, Job, one of the first books of the Bible to be written, probably the first book of the Bible, the most ancient Hebrew script. So the, it, some of these things are hard to translate. But look at what he's saying. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. (laughs) Yes, Job. Yes, they are. That's not a coincidence. God is like, don't worry. I'll make sure. Because there's people in 2022 that need to know how I am defending them. Oh, that my words were written. Verse 24, that they were engraved on a rock with an iron pen and led forever. For I know, he says, verse 25, that my Redeemer lives. Why would he say my Redeemer lives? It's, of course he's alive. He's God. Does he know something about the way God defends us that sometimes we forget about the great controversy? What did he say in Genesis? The seed of the woman will crush your head and you will wound his heel from the very beginning God knew he was going to win the championship and Job understands the end goal my redeemer lives he says he shall stand at last on the earth let me tell you when the Bible says that Jesus stands that means he's about to bring deliverance we talked about this last time I was, I was speaking here. I was telling you how he stood up on the boat. Remember that? He could have, he could have said, from, he could just stand, sitting, uh, I mean, sleeping. I was like, yeah, stop. But he didn't. He stood up. Daniel chapter 12, it says, Michael will stand up. This, this means deliverance come. He will stand. Where? Where will he stand? Where will he stand? Say it. In heaven. Why is that important? Because Satan claimed to have ownership and claim to this planet. He claims to have ownership of your heart. He claims to have whatever he wants and do to give you true freedom. But it's a lie. The one who's going to stand on this earth, it's not going to be Satan. It's going to be Jesus. And you and I. Defending. Job. This is Job in the middle of his pain. He says... And after my skin is destroyed, he says, so he knows he's going to be destroyed. He says he's going to die, that in my flesh I shall see God. He says, even if I die with this disease that I have right now, even if this is my end, even if this is my doom right here, right now, I know with my eyes in my flesh. What is he talking about? How can a man be destroyed and his flesh be rotten? And then he claims that his flesh is going to see God. He's talking about the championship. He's talking about the end. He's talking about how God defends him. Job understood the Redeemer's heart. After my skin is destroyed, I will see God in my flesh, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another, how my heart yearns within me. Let me read it to you from the NIRV, New, Inter- New International Reader's Version. I like the way that they say, I think we, we go one, one slide back so we can read it 
from the, from the beginning of that text. I know that my Redeemer lives. In the end, He will stand on the earth. Though my skin will be destroyed, in my body I will see God. Next slide. And I myself will see Him with my own eyes. I'll see Him. And He won't be a stranger to me. How my heart longs for that day. Let's put the second statement up. See, our faithfulness and intimacy with God destroys Satan's claim on this planet. Somebody say hallelujah. You are going through something. Sometimes we want us to do big things for God, and that's beautiful. We should be, I always say, young adults, take a year out. High school kids, think about this. You already know, don't, don't ask if you're going to be a student missionary. No, ask where you're going to be a student missionary. You, talk, you hear me talk about this all the time. Yes, but one of the greatest things and services you can do for God is stay faithful to Him in the time of trial. Why? Because in the great controversy, our intimacy and faithfulness in God in the time of trial destroys Satan's claim on this planet. And God uses that to defend humanity, to defend, so that when the time comes, he will get rid of evil for good. How does that make you feel? When I think about that, I say, well, that's too much pressure. <laughs> but if he allows it, he can also allow the strength to go through it. And as you're going through it, I can assure you, you won't make Satan very happy if you stay close to God in your time of trouble. Because Job understood that the heart of God was a redeemer's heart. A redeemer's heart. What's a redeemer? Let's, let's, let me remind you what the redeemer used to do. Let's put our lie where we talk about the redeemer. The, the, I have reviewed it into, into four things. Yeah, go ahead. We have four, we can summarize it in four things. Go ahead and click, click so we can, we can get the first one, second, and third uh, of that. So he, the, the Redeemer, first, we had to recover the lost property. If somebody had lost the property, they had to go pay for that property, make sure that property went back into the family. What else did the Redeemer do? Let, next. You can do all four. Free slaves, sometimes back in that day, they had to give themselves as a slave to pay the debt that they had because the business went wrong, whatever it is. Okay, so I, I'll work for you for the rest of my life or for however many years. Well, the Redeemer could come and redeem that person out of their debt. In essence, just pay their debt. Pay their college debt. Amen. We need Redeemers today. <laughs> pay your mortgage debt. Oh, can you imagine if somebody said, hey, uh, I'm your closest uh, relative. I, have, I come here to pay off your debt for your house. Woo! That's what the Redeemer did. Sometimes, like in the story of Ruth and Boaz, remember that? The Redeemer also married the widow who had experienced the loss of her husband. And that was important because, because otherwise, how would that woman live in that in that time, the Redeemer had to ensure that the widow was protected. In essence, the Redeemer was protecting, was defending the widow. That's what Boaz did. Girls, get, you, get yourself a man like Boaz. Yes. I'll say amen. Come on, ladies. <laughs> a Redeemer who is willing, by the way, 
Do you know why the other closest relative did not want to do it? It wasn't because necessarily he didn't want to marry. He didn't want to lose money. Because once he married Ruth, all that he would, the, the field that he was buying was not going to be an investment to him. It was going to be passed down to Ruth's descendants. So Boaz, what he was doing was giving a big donation. Do you understand that? It wasn't an investment for him. That's why the other one said, ah, no, no, okay, no, you do it then. And Boaz said, I'll gladly marry Ruth. That's the kind of man you want. That's what a redeemer did. He also ensured fair, fair retribution in a court. Like if there was something that happened, he came to the defense of the person who was being accused or something. You know, he, he was there to help them in lawsuit. And sometimes fair retribution meant they had the rights. Get this, they had the right to take revenge for the person that was murdered. What did Jesus tell the snake in Genesis? I will destroy you because you mess with my children. You might win this game, but I will win the championship. Why? Because my defense is better. <laughs> I don't go around lying. I don't go around manipulating. I speak the truth. I love, and love will win over selfishness. It's a better way. It's the only way. That's what our Redeemer did. By the way, we're going to GVR this afternoon. I want to see you there. I want to pray together. To be intimate with God like Job. This last summer at GVR, they were talking about this. The story of Boaz. Some of you were there. And we're talking about the Redeemer. The story of Boaz and Ruth. Well, I don't need to tell you this. But Jesus is your Redeemer. Hebrew word is Goel. Jesus is your Redeemer. He avenges. He makes sure you have a defense in the courtroom. He makes sure that all the property you lost comes back to you. Hallelujah. He says, this earth is yours. He frees the slaves, the oppressed, under sin, under the tyranny of human governance, governments that work in the premises of, of uh, with, with, the, with the selfishness. He frees he delivers. That's how God is defending you. And in your pain, in your hour of trial, just like Job, think of the Redeemer's heart. The devil is going to try to convince you that God is no Redeemer for you. That he might redeem other people, but not you. But it's a lie. Job knew. He says, even if I die, and if this disease will kill me, I know my Goel will live. And I will see him with my own eyes. Do you know your Redeemer's heart? Because it's not just knowledge. It's not just knowledge of things in the Bible. It's knowledge of intimacy with God. It's a relationship. Don't be part of this church because only because of the, 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 the information. 
If you think that the information will save you, let me tell you something today. It won't. Oh, I know. Jesus said the truth will set you free. Yes, but he also said, I am. Truth is not a bunch of information. Truth is a person. Hallelujah. It's a relationship. Everything falls into place when you have an intimate relationship with God. Do you know your Redeemer's heart? Do you know He loves you and defends you even with everything else, all the evidence around you? You say, well, all these bad things happening. Oh, I don't see evidence of His love. Do you still know He's your Redeemer? That's how He defends us. When we become so intimate with Him. Let's put our next statement. That our relentless pursuit of God's heart. The Redeemer's heart. Is an irrefutable what? Say it. Defense of His kingdom. You break Satan's kingdom. When you are intimate with God. In the hour of pain. And God uses that. When his time is right to destroy him for good. Somebody say hallelujah today. You might think, you might say, well, I don't have evidence that he's my redeemer. Like all these bad things happening. How do I? You want evidence that he's your redeemer? You want evidence that he's defending you? I am here to tell you, like I told you at the beginning, I am here to tell you that he's playing defense for you. I am here to tell you that he's defending you. Don't you see it? On a cross, hanging naked, bleeding out, separated from God. Like Job, separated from God, but way worse, playing defense for you. Oh, Satan thought, I can kill him and I can get rid of him. Boy, he was wrong. You say, I don't have evidence. Look, it's a historical fact. Jesus was real. This thing is real. Everything is true. God became a man. He died. Look it up. There's evidence. Pilate killed him. And you say, well, I don't have evidence that he resurrected. 500 people saw him, touched him, smelled him after the resurrection. They saw him eating. You can't make up a scam like that. People wouldn't die for a scam like that. You think the disciples would have gotten up from the upper room if they had been conniving about the resurrection of Jesus? Yeah, let's pretend that he resurrects and then let's get all of us killed. No, the only logical conclusion is that this thing is real. There is a redeemer and he's playing defense for you today. And he will win the championship. In fact, championship is pretty much over. Let's wrap this thing up. Let's go to John. John, I I have a verse for you here. I think I have it on the screen. I'm going to look it up. Also, John 16, 33. This is the verse. Ooh, fighting words. Don't mess with Jesus. When you mess with his children, you're going to know about him. 
he says to his disciples, I have told you all of this, all the things that he, I have told you, all the things I have taught you, so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, he says, what? You will have what? He already said it. He said, I'm going to allow, I have to allow evil a little bit to show its true colors. I have, that's freedom of choice. Love, that's the way that love does. But trust me, it's the only method. You will have sorrow and trials, but, but, take heart, he said. Why? I have overcome the world. I have beaten the devil at his own game. I set him up like a chess player. They set each other up. They're thinking to good, like professional players, they're thinking 20 moves, 30 moves. Wow, I can't even do one. Even better, millions of moves ahead. God measures every possibility. He saw every possibility that could ever possibly do, and this was the only way. This is the only method to get a universe based on love where it's worth living. He said, I have overcome the world. I will hold your hand when it's your turn to go through trial. But don't give up your Redeemer's heart still beating strong for you. He's still defending you. Uh, like a game, <laughs> like a game of American football. You know, American football has some weird rules. What happens at the end of a game when your team is winning and you have the ball and there's only one minute left? What do they do? Those big old guys all full of, you know, ready to play. What do they do? Yeah, victory formation. There you go. Victory formation. And what do they do? Do they play the ball? Uh-uh. That will be, that will be not, not, not uh, smart. They down the ball over and over again, letting the clock Right now, I think it's a weird rule, to be honest. I'm like, you guys play on. Come on, like, what, what are you doing? In soccer, we play till the end. We're losing 5-0. We're still playing and we are hoping. There's no way, but we're still playing till the end, till the last whistle. <laughs> well, to finish our analogy, Jesus' team is winning. <laughs> the Cougars won, what was it, 9-3 on Thursday? Yes, sir. It's kind of like that. 9-3, last minute of soccer. There's no way. You know what that feels like. That's a sweet feeling, isn't it? When your team is winning, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But this is a good analogy. It's a good analogy. Your team is winning the championship game. And yes, I was in Denver when the Broncos won the Super Bowl. That's the only time in my life I ever cared about American football. All of a sudden, I was a fan. <laughs> Anyways, one minute left. The team has the ball, and you see them. What does the team on the sidelines start doing? They know it's over. The game is over. It's just a matter of them downing the ball a couple times, three times. There is no way out for the opposing team. It's done. That's what we're living now. See it. Jesus said, I have overcome the world. And if you go to Romans chapter 8, oh, Romans chapter 8, we are told, 
Let's put our last statements to close this thing off. Nothing can separate us when God is playing defense. Paul says, oh, look it up, Romans 8. I like to finish today reading you from Romans 8. This is a paraphrase I made a long time ago when I was teaching Bible and I made all my students rewrite the book of Romans in their own words as if they were Paul. But I only did it because I had already done it. So I'm going to read just a few phrases. I hope it's a blessing to you. Because nothing, nothing can separate us when God is playing defense. I'm going to start in verse 28. I, I don't promise that you'll be able to follow me because I'm going off if I, like if I was Paul. Get this. Not only are our sufferings nothing in light of what good things we'll experience in the newly created world. No. Also, and maybe even cooler, is the fact that while we are here experiencing all these difficult times, we have the assurance that God is working in our lives, bringing beauty out of chaos, life out of death, order out of confusion. Somehow, He manages to use every situation, good or bad, for the good of those who love Him and are devoted to being like Him. This includes those things that happen to us as a result of our mistakes and those that come to our lives simply because we're in a world of sin. Even the most terrible experiences become tools in His skillful hands to shape His culture in our lives. So that puts suffering in a different light, doesn't it? Never forget that God has a much bigger plan for you and me. He sees the end from the beginning, has already prepared the way ahead of us. His purpose will in the end come to fruition. And there's nothing that can change that. So what, you might say? This I say, if God is on our side, who cares what pains and sufferings we must go through? Who cares who our enemies are? He did not even hold back his own son, but allowed evil to abuse and kill him to secure our salvation. He will not hold back anything from us. What else can he do that he hasn't done, huh? What else can he give that he hasn't given? So... Who did you say was trying to bring us down through trials and sufferings? Who did you say was trying to accuse us against God? Where is he now, huh? What are you going to say now, you old accusing snake? The one and only anointed one, Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah. Who has no beginning and no end. He is the one who has died and rose again, overcoming evil and death. And who after crushing the head of evil with one eternal fatal wound went back up to his righteous throne. And it is he who, he who intercedes on our behalf in the courts where our destiny is being decided as we speak. Jesus will make sure that we are declared innocent in the judgment of all souls. So who did you say was trying to break our connection with God? Who's speaking now, huh? Who is it that has the last word? Who is it that stands at the end of the conflict? Who is it that has won? Where are you at, you fallen shining one? How will your darkness and perversion save you now? 
How will the father of lies separate us from the unstoppable power of God's perfect love? Will all the junk that he throws at us able to break the signal of God's connection with us? Will the sorrows and troubles, unexplainable tragedies and accidents, loss and death, aging and helplessness, persecution and starvation, risk of being ridiculed and discriminated because of his name, will all of these things be able to bring separation between us and God? No way, man. No way. I assure you that through all of these tough things we experience in this life, we will win. We will come out of this. We will overcome. In fact, we are more than just defeating evil through Jesus Christ. No, we are not just winning. We are creaming the powers of darkness like nine to three. They stand already lost. They might as well give us the trophy now. The fans of evil might as well leave the stadium before the game is over and they will find themselves surrounded by glory. They cannot stand. Those who are on God's side might as well sing the song of triumph. Bring the trophies. Let the celebration begin. We are champions. And much more than just champions because Jesus, what he has done for us. Jump with exaltation, burst out in jubilation. We, through our Lord Jesus, the King of light, have already tasted freedom and victory. Don't walk like slaves. Don't act like prisoners. You are conquerors. You are victorious. <laughs> you are champion champions. Today, in the name of Jesus, you have already tasted the triumph of a million years. Oh, let's finish it. Because I know. I'm going to ask the priest to come up. Because I know without a doubt that neither life nor death, neither highs nor lows, neither angels nor demons, neither power nor pressures, neither governments nor gangs, neither the present the past or the future, neither the devil himself nor whatever weapons he uses neither temptations nor failures, neither tragedies nor trials neither pride nor thoughtless traditions neither self-righteousness nor licentious living absolutely nothing that is real or imagined, nothing whatsoever will ever be able to break the connection the powerful bond, the eternal unlimited link that God himself in love has created through his son Jesus Christ praise him all of you who had been dead and now are alive forevermore Worship Him who has made victory a reality of His love. Oh, how can you stay still, you human? Clap your hands. Shout God's name. Dance in holy jubilation and bow down in fervent silence next to His sacred scarred feet. Your Redeemer is in the house defending you.
didn't notice the music for this song was in your bulletin if you like to look at music sing this with your heart
say hallelujah. We worship you before this trial is over. Our personal trial and the universe trial. We'll still worship you for the victory that is yours. Please bless each one of us here. May the Lord give us peace. May he be gracious to us until that trial is over. May we be intimate with you. In Jesus' name, let the church say,